0: Section eight of the Mysteries of London, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Mysteries of London, Volume two. By George W. M. Reynolds. Section eight. The Unfinished Letter. The dawn was now breaking and Catherine extinguished the candle. How gloomily does the young day announce itself to the dwellers in the narrow streets and obscure alleys of the poor districts of the metropolis. The struggling gleam appears to contend with difficulties against the dense atmosphere and noxious vapours which prevail in those regions, even in the midst of winter, and as each fitful ray steals through the dingy panes, its light seems leaden and dull not golden and roseate as that of the orb of day. Kate wiped away her tears and set to work to clear the table of the breakfast things. Having performed this duty, she slipped on her neat straw bonnet and warm shawl, purchased by the produce of her own industry, and repaired to market. But alas, poor girl, as she passed rapidly through the streets, she could not help noticing the people that were lounging at their doors, nudge each other as much as to say there goes the executioner's niece and no friendly voice welcomed her with a kind good morning no human being had a passing compliment not even one of those civil phrases which cost nothing to utter mean perhaps as little but still are pleasing to hear to waste upon the executioner's niece some old women more hard-hearted than the rest exclaimed as she hurried timidly by the spot where they were gossiping ah her uncle has got business on his hands this morning and when the poor girl reached the shop whither she was going her eyes were bathed in tears the shopkeeper was cool and indifferent in his manner towards her, not obsequious and ready as towards his other customers he even examined with suspicion the coin which she tendered him in payment for her purchases as if it were impossible that honesty could dwell in the heart of an executioner's niece the ill-conditioned fellow he saw not the mild blue eyes with a tear glittering in each like twin drops of the diamond dew he marked not the pretty lips apart and expressive of such profound melancholy he observed not the thick folds of the shawl across the gently budding bosom rise and sink rapidly No. He beheld not that interesting young creature's grief, but he treated her rudely and harshly, because she was the executioner's niece. Kate retraced her steps homewards. She saw other girls of her own age nod familiarly to their acquaintances at the windows as they passed, but she had no friend to receive or return her smile of recognition shrinking within herself as it were from the slightest contact with the world which despised her the poor young creature felt herself an interloper upon the very pavement and even stepped into the muddy street to make way for those who passed with a broken spirit she returned home her fate weighing upon her soul like a crime and so it was with her always on those mornings when her uncle was called upon to exercise his fearful functions She was glad to bury herself once more in that dwelling, the threshold of which a friendly step so seldom crossed. Her little parlour, embellished with her own hands, appeared a paradise of peace after the contumely which she experienced in the bustling streets. She had returned home in so depressed a state of mind that she had forgotten to close the front door behind her. She opened her workbox, seated herself at the table, and commenced her toil of pleasure, for that young girl loved her needle, and abhorred idleness. She then fell into a reverie as she worked. To be a hangman is something horrible indeed, she mused aloud, but to be a member of a hangman's family is far worse. He knows that he merits what reproach is levelled against him, if indeed his office deserve reproach at all, but I, who abhor the bare idea, and never so much as witnessed an execution why should shame and obloquy redound on me it is like suffering for a crime of which one is innocent oh god is this human justice what have i done that the vilest and lowest should despise me am i not flesh and blood like them do my clothes carry pollution that the ragged beggar draws her tatters close to her as she passes me oh give me strength heaven to support my wretched fate for there are moments when i despair you are wrong to mistrust the goodness of the almighty said a mild voice close behind her chair kate started and looked round it was the rector of st david's who had entered her room unperceived by the young maiden pardon me reverend sir answered kate I know that I am often forgetful of the wholesomeness lessons which I have received from your lips, but— Well, well, poor child, interrupted Reginald Tracy, to whose cheeks the phrase, Wholesome lessons, brought a flush of crimson, for he remembered how he himself had deviated from the doctrines which he had long successfully and sincerely taught. Be consoled. I know how sad must be our lot, and I have called this morning to see if I cannot ameliorate it what better my condition sir exclaimed Catherine. oh how is that possible we will see answered the rector taking a chair near the young maiden you are not altogether so friendless as you imagine i am aware sir that through your goodness i received an education at the school which your bounty founded and your excellent housekeeper mrs kendrick has furnished me with needlework oh sir i am not ignorant how much i owe to you both Kate raised her mild blue eyes towards the rector's countenance but her glance drooped again instantaneously for his looks were fixed upon her in a manner which she had never noticed in him before and which excited a momentary feeling of embarrassment almost of alarm in her mind but that feeling passed away as rapidly as it had risen and she blushed to think that she should have experienced such a sentiment in the presence of so holy a man and so great a benefactor i did not wish to remind you of any trifling services which myself or my housekeeper may have rendered you catherine said reginald i alluded to another friend who interests himself in you another friend ejaculated the young girl is it possible that i have another friend in the whole world you have replied mr tracy did not a gentleman accompanied by a police officer visit this house about a fortnight ago "'Yes, I remember, late one night,' and she stopped short, being unwilling to allude to that instance of her uncle's cruelty, which had led to the visit mentioned by the rector. "'Well, that gentleman feels interested in you,' continued Reginald. "'He saw how you were treated. He knows that you are unhappy.' "'And do strangers thus interest themselves in the wretched?' asked Catherine, her eyes swimming in tears not often replied the rector but this gentleman is one of the few noble exceptions to the general rule he must be indeed exclaimed Catherine, with an enthusiasm which was almost pious that gentleman learned from the policeman enough to give him a favourable impression of your character and to render him desirous of serving you he pondered upon the matter for some days but could come to no determination on the subject He heard that you were anxious to leave this house and earn your own bread. Oh, yes, how willingly would I do so! exclaimed Catherine, fervently. But! But what? demanded Reginald, in whose eyes the young maiden had never been an object of peculiar interest until at present. And now he observed, for the first time, that her personal appearance was far, very far from disagreeable the truth was that since his fall he had viewed every woman with different eyes from those through which he had before surveyed the female sex when he himself was chaste and pure he observed only the feminine mind and manner now his glances studied and discriminated between external attractions his moral survey had become a sensual one but what he said when Catherine hesitated do you object to leave your uncle i should be a hypocrite were i to say that i object to leave him was the immediate answer nevertheless if he demanded my services i would remain with him through gratitude for the bread which he gave me and the asylum which he afforded me when i was a child and unable to earn either but he would not seek to retain me i know for he does not he cannot love me still there is one poor creature in this house "'My housekeeper has told me of him. "'You mean your uncle's son?' said Reginald. "'I do, sir. "'He has no friend in the world but me, "'and though my intercessions do not save him "'from much bad treatment, "'still I have studied to console him.' "'If he be grateful, he will be pleased to think "'that you may be removed to a happier situation,' "'said the rector.' "'True,' exclaimed Kate. "'And if I only earned more money than I do here, I should be able to provide him with a great many little comforts. Assuredly, replied the fashionable creature, who during this colloquy had gradually drawn his chair closer to that of the young maiden. The gentleman to whom I have before alluded called upon me yesterday. It appears he learned from the policeman that you had been educated at the school in my district, and that my housekeeper was well acquainted with you he nobly offered to contribute a sum of money towards settling you in some comfortable manner the generous stranger exclaimed kate what is his name sir that i may pray for him mr markham markham cried the young girl strangely excited by the mention of that name yes have you ever heard of him before asked the rector surprised at the impression thus produced Catherine appeared to reflect profoundly for some moments. Then, opening a secret drawer of her workbox, she drew forth a small satin bag, carefully sewed all round. She took her scissors and unpicked the thread from one end of the bag. The rector watched her attentively, and with as much surprise as interest. Having thus opened one extremity of the bag, she inserted her delicate fingers and produced a sheet of letter paper, folded and dingy with age. Handing it to the rector, she observed, with tears streaming down her cheeks, these were the last words my mother ever wrote, and she had lost the use of her speech ere she penned them. Reginald Tracy unfolded the letter and read as follows. Should my own gloomy presages prove true, and the warning of my medical attendant be well founded, if, in a word, the hand of death be already extended to snatch me away, thus in the prime of life, while my darling child is blank, and inform Mr. Markham, whose abode is blank. The words that originally stood in the place which we have marked with asterisks had evidently been blotted out by the tears of the writer. Reginald folded the letter, as he had received it, and returned it to Catherine. The young girl immediately replaced it in the little bag, which she sewed up with scrupulous care. It was the poor creature's sole treasure, and she prized it as the last and only memento that she possessed of her mother. "'And you know not to whom that unfinished letter alluded,' said the rector after a long pause, during which the bag, with its precious contents, had been consigned once more to the secret drawer in the work-box. "'I have not the least idea,' answered Kate, drying her eyes. "'I was only four years old when my mother died, "'and, of course, could take no steps to inquire "'after the Mr. Markham mentioned in the letter. "'My uncle has often assured me "'that he took some trouble in the matter, but without success. "'Markham, you know, sir, is by no means an uncommon name.' "'And your father, Catherine, do you remember him?' "'Oh, no, sir, he died before my mother.' When I was old enough to comprehend how dreadful it is to be an orphan, Mr. Tracy, I made that little satin bag to preserve the letter which death would not allow my poor mother to finish. And again the young maiden wept bitterly. The rector was deeply affected, and for some minutes his sensual ideas concerning the damsel were absorbed in a more generous sympathy. But did not the medical man who attended your mother in her last moments and who is also alluded to in the latter? asked Reginald. Did he not afford some clue to unravel the mystery? That question I have asked my uncle more than once, answered Kate, and he has assured me that the medical man was a perfect stranger who was casually summoned to attend upon my poor mother only the very day before she breathed her last. Since then, the medical man has also died. Your mother was your uncle's own sister, was she not? asked the rector. She was, sir, and she married a person named Wilmot. Yes, for my name is Catherine Wilmot. I remembered that you were so entered upon the school books, said the rector. Your mother must have been a superior woman, for the language of that fragment of a letter is accurate, and the handwriting is good. The same thought has often struck me, sir observed Katharine, and now how strange it is that a person bearing the name of markham should interest himself in my behalf strange indeed exclaimed reginald whose eyes were once more fixed upon the interesting girl near him fixed too with an ardent glance and not one of tender sympathy mr richard markham the gentleman of whom i speak called upon me as i ere now stated and besought me to exert myself in your behalf he seems to think that my position and character enable me to do for you that which coming from him might awaken the tongue of scandal the cause of my visit this morning is now at length explained i am very grateful sir for mr markham's good intentions and your kindness said Catherine the coincidence in names which led me to show you that letter seems a providential suggestion to me to follow the counsel of such generous such disinterested friends i thought as i came along resumed the clergyman that i would procure you a situation with some friends of mine in the country but and he cast upon her a burning look brimful of licentiousness i have my doubts whether it would not be better for you to come to my house and assist mrs kenrick in her domestic duties especially as she is getting very old and he paused for a moment he hesitated because at the back of the offer there was an unworthy motive at which his guilty soul quaked lest it should betray itself but that pure-minded and artless girl only saw in that offer a noble act of kindness and she frankly accepted it upon the condition that her uncle approved of her conduct in doing so. The rector rose. He had no further excuse for protracting his visit. The young girl thanked him for his goodness, with the most heartfelt sincerity. Then he took his leave. End of chapter 8